Hi, this is Kristen Regal. And this is Paul Rock. And welcome to the Common Room Podcast. Um, every Sunday at 1045, we gather together to talk about life and spirituality, about the common experiences we share, as well as some of the questions we wrestle with. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope to see you some Sunday at 1045. So this is a space for us just to share conversation about life and spirituality. It's a chance for us to kind of build community through conversation. Um, and each week we have different topics and themes and speakers that come in this week. Our speaker is Tom, who talks a lot with authentic relating and kind of ways that we can build intentional connections with one another. And we wanted to invite him to come in because we're doing a sermon series or a gathering series on family. So with holidays coming up, there's a lot of talk about what it means to be family or to gather, but if we're honest, families are complicated and the holidays for all the joy and merriment could also be really stressful or isolating. And so we wanted to create a space to have real conversations about that. So as we talk a little bit about family today, I thought um, this is a passage from um, the New Testament, so from Christian scripture, I'm going to pass these around. As we think about family, some of us may think of like, okay, they're a sexual couple and then a couple of kids. Um, but what we see in the Christian tradition as well as in the Jewish tradition um, is that family is really complicated and family isn't so much about kind of who you're born to, but it's the family that you make. So um, whether it's through intermarriage, whether it's through kind of gathering together and kind of saying these are the people who are my tribe, that there are really healthy ways to build community and um, especially to cross kind of boundaries and say what brings us together, our shared values, our shared commitments, less so than kind of blood or lineage. And so this is a passage from Matthew, which is one of the four gospels in the New Testament. Um, and this is one of the examples for um, which Jesus talks about family. So Jesus was Jewish, he was a teacher, he was a son, um, he was a brother, um, and he was also someone who kind of had his own chosen family that kind of left his house and then never returned. He was kind of traveling around. So I just want to read this through, and um, then I'm going to turn it over to Tom to kind of lead us through our further discussions about what family means. So this is from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Anything that stands out to you in that? I mean, it's pretty radical. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty hardcore. I mean, Jesus was, he was all in. Like, we're, we're creating something new here. We're doing this, we're going to do this a little bit differently. And that's, I mean, I, I, I you know, reading forward in, in Matthew, you know that he does continue to hang out with his mom and, you know, she's even there at his death and that kind of stuff. So it's not a complete cutoff. But at the same time, it, he's, he's making, yeah, it's a pretty harsh thing, Mike. One of my kids said this, you know, to me. But Jesus was about kind of rewriting the script and what it means to be a family. I think tone matters with this too. It's like I keep thinking of like Jesus, and I don't know. I guess even if it's in his thirties or whatever, so as an adult, but like a sarcastic teenager being like, "Well, who is my mother? Who are my brothers?" Yeah, like, like, yeah, like, 
well, here's my mom, yeah. and Eli, like, blah, 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 versus, like, here's my mother, here's my brother, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, which Jesus do you imagine, right? And I just, I think I would love to actually have heard, like, what the tone was and, like, you know what I mean? Like, because you can see it at, like, point to the disciples of, like, here's my mother and here are my brothers. They're, like, here's my mother, here's my brother, kind of, yeah. like, mm-hmm. in your face type of a thing. Yeah. And it's interesting that he's not, like, here are my brothers, but, like, here's my mom. It just it does speak to the tension that we we all think about or deal with at some point in life, which is how do we what are our loyalties to like our our biological family and the people we grew up with, and also the people that we consider family beyond that, or you know the communities, the larger communities that we're a part of, and how do we kind of allocate our time and our attention to to those groups of people? You know, yeah. so it's it's very human struggle, I think, that he's talking about here. So as we think about what it means to be family, to choose family, to care for other people as our family, um, I'm going to turn it over to Tom to talk to us a little bit about the work he does in terms of building those relationships, both within Uh whoever we choose to have be our family, but also within the family of humankind. Uh Tom, I don't know if you want to Well, uh, yeah, sure. So I'm going to start off with, um, you know, most, a lot of my friends are somewhat alienated from their, from their biological families because their values are different. And the, the old school, conservative, traditional values that many people that are the baby boomer generation still cling to, the millennials are like, get out of here with that. So you see a lot, you see this type of attitude that, that is in this scripture passage happening when society is, over, is undergoing a transformation. You don't necessarily see that in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, when everything is like status quo, we're doing, what, 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 what we're doing is what we're doing, period. Now we're in a tra- transitional phase and we're changing our values so significantly, similar to this time in history. And now we need to start wondering, what does it look like to create these deep bonds with one another when we're not biologically related? And how does, what does that look like? So um, this, this clip we're going to watch gives an example of, there's, there's a lot of layers to it. It's only a three-minute clip, but it gives you an idea of what's not being said at the, at the Thanksgiving or Christmas table, what needs to be said, and how that could look and how and this is just a spoof it's a, it's just an absurd mockery of what's not happening <laughs> <laughs> well i'm aware that if i start off the night by talking about what i do for a living that i will get everyone to give me some approval and love because i'm under the illusion that i'm not loved as is I'll start off the conversation by telling everybody here that I had a really good career this year.
so. I've created an identity by helping you understand how life works. And if you go off and become independent, I believe that my identity is going to die. Oh, Ouch, barely. I, I could let her choose to have her feelings, but I'm going to make that about me and not which I keep myself as a mom right now. What did she just say to me? I'm choosing to rebel against this family. And we're choosing to be in denial about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware that if I fake laugh, it'll create the illusion for you that we're a fun place to be. <laughs> That's true, honey. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a teenager, and you know you should be able to do your thing without it being anything about us, but I'm going to choose to make it about us. I'm going to choose to double that, and we are going to be hell for you. <laughs> I want to disconnect myself from all this emotion without alcohol. So just in <laughs> to drown in your pain. I'm pretending that everything is okay when it's not. This family's crazy. Mm -hmm. but the real problem is that I'm in complete resistance to the fact that this family is crazy. Mm -hmm. I could allow everyone to just do what they need to do, but instead I'm trying to control the situation by diverting conversation to this weird man. I'm running away from a long list of problems, but I'm trying to hide from all of you. And if I keep smiling, I know I may impress you, and I'll achieve my goal of getting into Kara's hands. So this, this is uh, Kyle Cease, is that guy on the, on the right. Um, he's a transformational coach. Uh, he's one of my mentors. I saw him in uh, California. And I just really like the way that he guides people through a process of getting to know their inner self in a way that many of us, maybe even at this table, don't realize that we don't know. We don't know that we don't know ourselves. And what that really looks like is... is lifelong and generations long being cut off, divorced from our feelings. We're, we're, we're up here in our heads all the time as a society. So I was just even noticing as we were going around the room and just introducing ourselves how much of that conversation that we were all having, that banter, so to speak, it's all up here, right? And what do we feel? What do we feel? Um, let's do an exercise. So. What are your what are your what are your, all your thoughts about moving this table out? And the reason being is, it it breaks up the space. We'll be more connected just by simply not having this in the, in the middle of us. Would that be okay? That's true. Mm -hmm. Now the space doesn't feel broken up by stuff, by things, and it's fine that we still have drinks and all that. But if our drink is on the table, right, it blocks line of sight, so we can't see each other. And one part about authentic relating is. Um, Sometimes we'll do exercises where we mill about the room where the invitation is to make eye contact with each other. And in the Midwest, especially, that is super awkward for people. It's like people are scared of that sometimes. So, all right, so the first exercise we're gonna do is called thoughts and feelings. So the invitation is for one person to volunteer 
And we're going to ask you to say three things that you're thinking right now, and then three things that you're feeling. And what we find with the average person is that they'll say, I'm feeling such and such, but really they're presenting a thought. So what it means to get really in touch with our feelings is a different experience often than we're having normally. Let's start there. What is a thought and what is a feeling? What's the difference? It's open to anybody. Thought is more cognitive, feelings more like you can't you can't help but feel it, I guess. Like you're not maybe not as actively thinking about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Although that the lines get blurred there. So a thought, so a thought can be anything. It can even be a judgment. Like if your thought is, "Oh, oh, Tom looks like he's 50. You know, that's a thought. Whereas, whereas a feeling in that concept would be like, um, oh, oh, here's a better example. Here's a thought: the walls are white. The feeling is because the walls are white, I feel calm. So the the idea is to detangle the whole thought process, where I'm feeling calm right now. Well, well, why is that? Well, because the walls are white, so thoughts are feelings. And so being in touch with both of them gives us a better, well-rounded understanding of who we are and everything that's going on inside of us. There's different reasons why we feel things. One might be because I'm actually having this feeling. Another one, and I'm not projecting, I don't know why this is for you, but another reason why you might feel anxious because you'd rather prefer to just sit in the corner and observe in our culture, that's a male trait. Men are often taught emotions aren't okay to feel. They're not okay to share. So we can detangle those too. Do I really feel this way? Or do I feel this way because I've been taught to feel this way? And that it's inappropriate to feel other ways. And just knowing our culture in general, that's a thing that's like very culturally up for men. So thanks for sharing. It's important to understand not just what our feelings are, but why we feel them, because a lot of times they're not even ours. Hmm. Just in the same way that our thoughts aren't always even ours. Hmm. They're put there. Mom and dad, teachers, when we're in high school, college, whatever, we start thinking things that are not our thoughts. We start feeling things that are not our feelings. And then that's why this work is so valuable. And honestly, I had to go to the West Coast. I was in uh, the Portland area for a while where I learned these techniques and strategies. And coming back here to the Midwest, the culture in general is, is more, um, there's more layers of, of, of plastic in front of our eyes where this, is, this experience right now, I, I know, is giving all of you more anxiety than if this same experience were being done in Portland at a second Presbyterian church. Hmm. It's just a part of the cultural difference. I know it's it's hard. You mentioned the word vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That is that's the buzzword of the day for what authentic relating is. It's helping us become more comfortable being vulnerable with each other and ourselves. Because the more we dig, the more we become aware that there's stuff in there we didn't even know. And the thing is, once you get out of a school setting or a time that forces you to do this, you never do it. Mm-hmm. Like. You just don't, mm-hmm. you know. And if it doesn't happen around your home, then you don't ever do it. Because I mean, the only time that I was like forced to do this was yeah, at a, a college, at a seminar, or at a something where you actually had to sit, face each other, talk, share feelings, or, or in seminary when we would do a 
CPE, you know, and you didn't sit around and talk about, okay, so you just, you just did a funeral or you just baptized a dead baby, how'd that make you feel? And you just, those conversations don't happen. Once you leave those situations that force you to do that or a classroom, I'm going to do one more exercise, and um, anybody feel free to opt out if this feels too vulnerable or past your, your comfort threshold. But we're gonna, what we're going to do is get into pairs, and we're going to play a game, the professional empath and the friend in need. And we'll switch back and forth. But when you're the professional empath, your job is just to listen. Can you spell that word? Empath? Mm. E-M-P-A-T-H. Yeah. yeah. Empathy, and it's a little different from empathetic. Empathy is a little different. Um, empathy is an emotion, uh, and it's basically, it's different from compassion, but that's a good place to start. It's, it's, so the friend in need is going to speak for a, three to five minutes about something that they just need an ear for. It doesn't have to be something bad. It can be something really good that's happened in your life. But most people don't don't actively listen when we're talking. Mm. They'll do a couple things. They'll hijack, which means they'll make it about me. So if you say, I just got a new car, I'm be like, I don't have enough money to buy a new car. So I'm not sharing your joy, I'm turning it back on me. But anytime that I say what you're saying and how it relates to me, that's called hijacking. It's not listening. We think it is, but I really like Marshall Rosenberg's work where he talks about what empathy is and what empathy isn't. And he gives this whole long list of things that aren't empathy that we think are. Is he doing nonviolent communication? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nonviolent communication. So um, the professional empath will just be actively listening. You can nod, you can give, you know, um, mm hmm, mm hmm, like that, but your job is to not say anything. And as you're not saying anything, notice in your head how much you really want to say something <laughs> and how uncomfortable it is to just actively listen for three to five minutes and to just be there for that person because maybe they've had a really bad day maybe they've had a really good day and they just really want to get something off their chest and your job is to listen and not say anything and then we'll switch is that clear okay. go ahead and, uh, and pair up Um, any other observations from, let's see, la last time we asked the professional uh, empaths, what was the experience like to be listened to, to be heard from any of the friend in need folks? I thought it was really nice, therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Just to, you know, talk for an uninterrupted time and feel like you have a safe space to share. It's nice to just to have that person who's kind of giving you their, their time and their attention. Um, and I also felt like the first time it wasn't long enough because it <laughs> felt like we were just getting into really being able to share things. And, and so it was good to have a follow-up time as well. But yeah, I feel like it could go on for 20 minutes if we wanted to, you know? Right, right. Well, uh, combined with what you said about being therapeutic mm -hmm. and, and you said go on for 20 minutes. This is one thing often therapists don't do. They, they hijack things a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, not all of them, but a lot of them do have the style where they're, they're hijacking stuff. Um, so professional empathy <coughs> is something that I do. Um, it's considered the role of a life coach these days. You're not getting a lot of that in the, in the professional people with PhDs. They don't know how to do it. They think too much. That's 
my that's my judgment about that. <laughs> I hear that. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. But I do find uh, it out out west they have professional empathy. It's a thing, a totally separate thing from therapy, mm-hmm. and it's extremely effective. Mm-hmm. Um, any other one final thoughts before we switch switch roles? I think for me, I don't really like the sharing part, so I kind of have like people that I go to, and so I think for me, I'm pretty. I like the compartmentalization of like mm-hmm. it's like I have friends that I call, I have people I go on retreat with, and so the integrated part I think is nice. Um, but there's also a part where it's like I don't know if I want to share my story with you, and you haven't really earned the right to hear my story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, it's. Um, it's nice to have that space to share, but I think there's a little bit more protection there of like, mm, I don't know, like like people who say they're an open book, I think of them as like very naive. Like, so for me, that's someone who's like very privileged, who's like, oh, I'm an open book. I'm like, then clearly like you've never like experienced hurt or pain or like it's a very privileged place to say like, you can know my story because I think most of the people who I respect the most who have wisdom are like, you know, I've learned how to discern what to share and what not to share. And so, I don't know, so it's both and. So, like, I appreciate the vulnerability piece of it and, like, how do you open that up? But I also recognize, like, there's boundaries there and I think there is something about, like, earning trust and creating those relationships. Mm-hmm. And also, it's, like, exhausting. So, like, if mm-hmm. I, like, sit at the lunch table with someone, like, and I'll say this for a workplace thing, mm-hmm. like, most of my job's listening. And so, and I would say I do this with colleagues, like, I don't really have the emotional capacity because I just had three hours of listening to them tell me about how your day's going. It's like, okay. Right. I, like, draw back in. For sure. So, I know this has been helpful to realize, like, you have to do more of that. Like, mm-hmm. I need to do more of that, but also, like, boundaries are good, too. There's oh, yeah. a reason mm-hmm. for them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both Nice. Yeah. So, I, I hadn't thought about that, that, just the kind of introvert-extrovert thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, even the sharing and listening for a while as an introvert, is that is that depleting a little bit? Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There are introverts who are mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's rejuvenating for me. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to have one-on-one. Just the one-on-one. Just deep sharing. Yeah. That's, that is like filling to my soul. Huh. Yeah. And I'm, I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I always tell people I'm an open book. Yeah. And I am. I'm, yeah. um, but I've been hurt a lot, yeah. so I, I didn't relate to what your opinion was mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. I have a totally different experience. I think it's a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just hadn't thought about that, the idea that, again, we live in our bubbles, but I'm more mm-hmm. of an extrovert, and so to connect with someone is really life-giving, and I could go then to the next one and connect, and you know, and, it's, and it gives me energy, but I would imagine that would be depleting for some folks. That would be hard. That would be exhausting. Yeah, and the more you do it, you realize there is a huge emotional yeah. output, and it is. It, yeah. Different people have, have more tolerance for that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's draining. Yeah. Um, in terms of the open book thing, I want to say we all we all keep people at a certain distance, at arm's length, but some people have shorter arms than others, hmm. and it's just where your comfort zone is, where's the edge of your bubble, how much do you need to get to know somebody before you let them in, and how close to the vest do you let them. Okay, we're going to switch, and that'll be this will be the final exercise. So just uh, switch roles, and 
that and talk for uh, three to five minutes about, about anything that's up for you. So that was your first experience with authentic relating. Those are just two games out of 150 that have been developed, all with the same basic goal, to help us become more, more self-aware and to develop deeper relationships with each other that are based on heartfulness instead of mindfulness. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I, uh, and, and, and Tom, I think, came to the first or second time we did the comment room. And, and remember, we, this has been, uh, the Second Presbyterian Church has got two services that happen Sunday morning, and then we kind of wanted a third service. This is a new space. We just built that front porch, and we had this, we call this the community room. We're trying to do more things to kind of connect with the community and not be a traditional kind of church. And so to have a, a, a third, we're not even calling it a service, but a third gathering on Sunday mornings where it just, it's more about this kind of stuff rather than people sitting in pews and listening to one person talk or listening to a choir sing or something like that. And, um, and I think in the common, getting to know Tom a little bit just in the last uh, couple few months to recognize that in our, and I'll use my, I'm gonna use my Christian filter but in our um, kind of basic shared humanity, we were created to be in intimate connection with other people, intimate physically, intimate relationally. And what happens, um, it's interesting because one of, one of the things that, that we long for and we love is convenience and comfort, right? And oftentimes what convenience and comfort means for us, especially when you have the means in a privileged society like ours, is I can be more and more by myself and I don't have to deal with other people's stuff. And so I can come home, close the garage door, whatever it is, and I've got my thing and I can watch my movie and I can choose from a hundred different movies that I want to watch. Shop and I can, online. What's that? Shop online. Yeah, shop online. I can do everything. And, and so the convenience is, and we all would say we love that, the comfort and the convenience. But that same thing that we love and we prize and we appreciate and our privilege gives us more of, it also actively kind of deconnects us from people in ways. And also because of our lifestyles and how we live and, and not being forced to live in a cabin with you know however many other people for an extended period of time, mm -hmm. you can just like have your own room. You can have your own space. And and it it depletes us as humans. Social media. Yeah, social media. So you can have, you can even have, and I think some of that is good. You can have some intimacy there, but not the same kind of intimacy that you have mm -hmm. staring into someone's eyes and having a conversation and feeling like someone's actually listening to you in a room. Um, and, uh, and so I think what I would say is that what, what, this, what God is doing, and God, however you want to define God, this, this, this spirit of love that, that longs for the best for all of us and for all of creation, is um, is working is recognizing that the systems that we used to use just kind of aren't doing it anymore. I mean, I, I love a good traditional worship service or, or going to a whatever kind of gathering, but what people are looking for is this, and and whether it's in the authentic relationship movement, whether it's in yoga and Pilates groups, whether it's in book clubs, people are finding ways to connect, to look at each other, to share stories, to do this kind of stuff. And some of our traditional institutions that used to do that, supposed to do that, don't do it very well anymore. And so, um, so River, I appreciate you showing up and feeling like uh, a little bit vulnerable, but I think honestly, that's what everybody's feeling like right now, if we were honest about it, is there are so many people, and I would say especially for men, we just, yeah, this is all we do. We just, we just live here. And so this idea of like moving to what I need and how do I become friends? How do I build connections? Because 
um, that's that's actually what I need in life, and that's what gives me life. Um, there's a lot of us that are walking around kind of half dead and not not knowing how it is that we get life, and, and the, the idea of getting rid of tables and looking at each other and connecting at a heart level is too freaking hard. I mean, it's just too vulnerable. It's too difficult. And so how do we live as people that help to make those connections happen in ways that are safe or that are that are um, accessible for the folks and so I appreciate your work and I feel like kind of your calling uh, to be someone who wants to help people to do that in a safe way as a man um, but I think it's I think it's a calls on all of us to kind of to figure out ways that we can do that and get past the, the Midwest heady um, you know Missouri nice or whatever we call it This is a constant practice, even for me. Um, you gotta remember to bring these skills into your, into my uh, real relationships, not just theoretically in the classroom. Mm-hmm. You have to. It's a lifetime of training that have to be rewired. Remember to re- do this more often. Next week, uh, we're gonna kind of finish our family series, and we'll be meeting in the common room again, <coughs> and then. On Christmas Eve, uh, we're, we're doing to the, the kids' family service is always a hoot, but that happens in the sanctuary, and then there's a six o'clock candlelight service, and then the Sunday following that is uh, is just we just do one service, a nine forty five service here, uh, just because it's, it's a pretty pretty small crowd. At the end of December, um, we are going to be then in January. We're going to do a three part series on uh, kind of how how you transform your character. We're going to be looking at biblical characters and transformation that takes place there, um, but then. End of January into February, we're going to do a six-week series on love, sex, and relationships. Love, so. sex, and relationships. Mm-hmm. And if this was something that you enjoyed, how maybe we can talk about having you through for something that might be unique during that series. So mm-hmm. let us know. But we'll be talking about yeah, love with multiple multiple ways of loving, and then relationships and a multiplicity of ways, and then sex and kind of the multiplicity of ways we can talk about that as well. And we also thought that for the common room, this would be a nice place. If, if you know somebody if through the different, you know, your uh, experiences as, as teachers or as business people or as as, uh, as caregivers, you know someone who'd be like, God, this person would be a great person to come and share their, their expert in this area or their, what they've done. We would love to, like, open up that sex, love, and relationships um, series to bringing in different folks like we've kind of done with Tom here who've got some experience in these areas to be a little bit of a guest guest speaker during that series. So just be thinking about that over the next few weeks. Well, if I don't see you guys, Merry Christmas, and I hope I do, but uh, Happy Hanukkah and all the Mm -hmm. wonderful, hopefully, opportunities we have to sit in our bubble baths or to (laughs) reassess or to reconnect with other people. Peace. Thank you again, Tom. Thanks, Tom.